Chapter Twenty Four of A Guest at the Ludlow by Bill Nye. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Twenty Four My Trip to Dixie. I once took quite a long railway trip into the South in search of my health. I called my physicians together, and they decided by a rising boat that I ought to go to a warmer clime or I should enjoy very poor health all winter. So I decided to go in search of my health, if I died on the trail. I bought tickets at Cincinnati of a pale, sallow liar who is just beginning to work his way up to the forty-ninth degree in the order of Ananias. He will surely be heard from again some day, as he has the elements that go to make up a successful prevaricator. He said that I could go through from Cincinnati to Asheville, North Carolina, with only one easy change of cars, and in about twenty-three hours. It took me twice that time, and I had to change cars three times in the dead of night. The Southern Railroad is not in a flourishing condition. It ought to go somewhere for its health. Anyway, it ought to go somewhere, which at present it does not. According to the old Latin proverb, I presume we should say nothing but good of the dead, but I am here to say that the railroad that knocked my spine loose last week and compelled me to carry lunch baskets and large Norman two-year-old grip sacks through the gloaming till my arms hung down to the ground does not deserve to be treated well even after death. I do not feel any antipathy toward the South, for I did not take any part in the war, remaining in Canada during the whole time, and so I can now be accused of offensive partisanship. I have always avoided anything that would look like a settled conviction in any of these matters, retaining always a fair, unpartisan, and neutral idiocy in relation to all national affairs, so that I might be regarded as a good civil service reformer, and perhaps at some time hold an office. To further illustrate how fair-minded I am in these matters, I may say I have patiently read all the war articles written by both sides, and I have not tried to dodge the footnotes, or the marginal references, or the war maps, or the memoranda. I have read all these things until I can't tell who was victorious, and if that is not a fair and impartial way to look at the war, I don't know how to proceed in order to eradicate my prejudices. But a railroad is not a political or sectional matter, and it ought not to be a local matter unless the train stays at one end of the line all the time. This road, however, is the one that discharged its engineer some years ago, and when he took his time check he said he would now go to work for a sure enough road with real iron rails to it, instead of two streaks of rust on a right-of-way. All night long, except when we were changing cars, we rattled along over wobbling trestles and third mortgages. The cars were graded from third class down. The road itself was not graded at all. They have the same old air in these coaches that they started out with. Different people with various styles of breath have used this air and then returned it. They are using the same air that they did before the war. It is not, strictly speaking, a national air. It is more of a languid air with dark circles around its eyes. At once, where I had an engagement to change cars, we had a wait of four hours, and I reclined on a haircloth lounge at the hotel, with the intention of sleeping a part of the time. Dear patient reader, did you ever try to ride a refractory haircloth lounge all night bareback? Did you ever get aboard a short old-fashioned black haircloth lounge with a disposition to buck? 
i was told that this was a kind family lounge that would not shy or make trouble anywhere but i had only just closed my dark red mournful eyes in sleep when this lounge gently humped itself and shed me as it would its smooth dark hair in the spring tra-la the floor caught me in its great strong arms and i vaulted back upon the polished bosom of the haircloth lounge it was made for a man about fifty-three inches in length and so i had to sleep with my feet in my pistol pockets and my nose in my bosom up to the second joint i got so that i could rise off the floor and climb on the lounge without waking up it grew to be second nature to me i did it just as a man who is hungry in his sleep bites off large fragments of the air and eats it involuntarily and smacks his lips and snorts so i arose and deposited myself again and again on that old swayback but frolicsome wreck without waking but i couldn't get aboard softly enough to avoid waking the lounge it would yawn and rumble inside and rise and fall like the deep rolling sea till at last i gave up trying to sleep on it any more and curled up on the floor the haircloth lounge in various conditions of decrepitude may be found all through this region its true inwardness is composed of spiral springs which have gnawed through the cloth in many instances these springs have lost none of their old elasticity of spirits and cordially corkscrew themselves into the affections of the man who sits down on them if anything could make me thoroughly attached to the south it would be one of these spiral springs bored into my person about a foot but that is the only way to remain on a haircloth's chair or sofa no man ever successfully sat on one of them for any length of time unless he had a strong pair of pantaloons and a spiral spring twisted into him for some distance in private houses haircloth sofas may be found in a domesticated state with a pair of dark reserved chairs waiting for someone to come and fall off them in hotels they go in larger flocks and graze together in the parlor end of chapter twenty four read by don w jenkins Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.